Good morning, everybody. A few months ago, I was uh, at a bar where we play games on the weekends, and I had uh, a conversation with a friend there that is um, representative of lots of conversations that I've had. Uh, and, and we started talking, you know, as, as it usually uh, uh, happens, uh, we'll ask, what do you do, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor who works with the church. Oh, oh, you know, you get any number of responses, you know, when people hear that you're a pastor. Uh, in this particular occasion, he said, oh, my, my dad is a pastor up north somewhere. And, you know, I've really tried to... Um, uh, be a part of a church, you know, here in Dallas. But um, inevitably, uh, the same thing seems to happen. Uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm less concerned with the the big worship gathering or whatever. What I really want is community and a sense of belonging. And I get involved in a, a small group, and we get to know each other. Uh, and they they find out that I'm gay, and it just goes downhill from there. Uh, we, we reach this loggerheads, this impasse, and I end up leaving frustrated. Uh, those conversations break my heart. And I, I couldn't... Uh, I, the only thing I could do was just apologize for, uh, for how he felt on the outside. And, and the truth is, there are lots of folks in the LGBTQ Community that, that are hungry for God and they're hungry for community and they feel on the outside of lots of spiritual and religious institutions. And we've got to do something about that. Uh, my friend of a long time, Sally Gary, is like ninja level skills at, at helping churches and families and schools have Christ-like conversations about LGBTQ stuff with and among and for our friends and neighbors in the LD, LGBTQ community. And so it is, it's my uh, deep honor that she's with us this morning to talk with us, to share some of her story, uh, and to give us some vision for how we can welcome folks in the spirit of Christ. So, Stally, come on up. We're so glad to have you here. Good morning. Uh, am I going to need this microphone, or can you hear me? I, I, yeah, it's a concrete floor, so we probably will need the microphone. I'm usually not glued to a microphone, but this might keep me still for a, a change, because it's that ninja. <laughs> that ninja. I, I've, never, I've never been introduced quite like that, Charles. I think it's really appropriate. I, I, I like that. I like that, that somebody thinks that, that I am, yeah. Yeah, not at all, not at all. Sarah, are we uh, are we on back there? Okay, all right. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, I connect with different parts of my life when I uh, come different to different places, and I've done that again this morning. Um, 
folks from my college days, folks from my teaching days and beyond um, make me think about different parts of my life. And uh, funny that you both take me back to ACU. I uh, am a graduate of Abilene Christian University. Like uh, some of you, perhaps, I grew up going to church all my life. I grew up uh, never having a time that I didn't know Jesus. My parents were not just Easter and Christmas uh, Christians. They were three times a week Christians. And even though my father hadn't grown up in a Christian home, he very much uh, was moved by the gospel and, and became a Christian when he and my mom married. And so that's all I knew from birth was going to church and being the good little Church of Christ girl, my particular background and heritage and tribe. And so I'm learning memory verses and I'm the one who will answer questions in Sunday school. Uh, I'm the one who would have been the know-it-all in the group that you hear in there. <laughs> That's just who I was. I grew up to be the leader in the youth group. I was the kid who would argue against dancing in the 1970s. I, mean, I, I was that obnoxious kid. I took it seriously because my mom had taught me from day one that God was more important than anything else in this life. That he was at the center of everything that we did and there would never ever be a time that what he wanted for my life wouldn't be most important. And so I grew up having God at the center of everything. It wasn't a cram it down your throat, you have to, these are the rules kind of way. It was this God who was a loving God. Just exactly like First John 4. That's the picture of God that she painted for me so beautifully. And so why wouldn't you want to follow and be a part and be involved? That just came very naturally to me. And so I grew up doing all the typical childhood things, all the typical middle school things, high school things. I become the, the life of the party um, with an extroverted personality. I make friends easily. I'm outgoing. I am a good, a good friend to people, and I carry that on to Abilene Christian. Only there are things that I didn't talk about, things that I noticed growing up that I never felt safe to talk about and really didn't realize as a kid that there was any need for concern that there was any need uh, to talk to anybody about what I was feeling. I didn't really know what I was feeling until my junior year at Abilene Christian. And that was when I finally realized, oh my word, these feelings that I have for friends who are girls are more than just friendship. There's an attraction there. There's a, a, a growing 
physical, sexual attraction, uh, certainly an emotional and a spiritual attraction at first. That's the way it always was. I would never be drawn to someone who didn't also love God. And so it became extremely confusing to me. I had no idea what to do with that. Here I am on the campus of a school that I loved, that my mother had gone to and talked about all my life. And here I am with professors who love me and believe in me and are teaching me things. But I can't talk to anybody. I have to carry that secret. Because you see, I had heard the things that people said all my life growing up in church. I heard the conversations out in the foyer after some friends of ours got married when I was a little girl. And just a few months later, he left her because he was attracted to men. And I heard the whispers and the comments and the looks of disgust on people's faces. I was only eight years old, and so they didn't think I understood what they were talking about. And in many ways, I didn't. Yet I did. I'd heard that sort of hatefulness and ugliness all my life. And so I was petrified that this might actually be me. That all those dear people who loved me were talking about. I had heard my friends who were gay talk about how their families had responded, how their families had kicked them out, how their families had taken them out of wills, cut them off completely from communication. I'm 20 years old. And church and family are the most important things in the world to me, and pretty much in that order. My church is my family. And the thought of not being able to come and be a part of what we did this morning was absolutely gut-wrenching to me. And so I couldn't tell anybody because that might happen to me too. I kept all that to myself. The energy that I expended keeping that secret day after day after day after day after day, asking God to take those feelings away day after day after day for 15 more years. I was 35 years old when I finally had the courage, and it wasn't really courage, I was just so miserable that I couldn't keep it to myself anymore. And I realized there was this prompting by the Holy Spirit to share with somebody, to talk to somebody, to not have to carry this alone, I could hear God say. And so I did. I made the most important phone call of my life, and I made an appointment with a, a guy who was a counselor because that's all I knew to do was to go see a counselor and figure out what's wrong with me. He was in Dallas, so nobody would know. I was in Lubbock at the time in law school. I taught school for 10 years, and I knew not to dare share a thing with anybody, or I would lose my job. They wouldn't let me be around those kids. And I loved those kids. But now, with the courage prompted by misery 
to make that confession for the very first time. I'm so grateful that I was met with love. The love of Christ in a man who received me and didn't push me away, didn't tell me, well, Sally, I'm so glad that you came to talk to me, but that's not really my area of expertise. So I'm going to refer you to someone that could really help. He didn't do that at all. He didn't read Romans 1 to me. He didn't say, well, you know what the Bible says. He simply invited me back that afternoon to talk some more, and we talked some more. And we talked about a lot of things. Very little of it dealt with my sexuality. It dealt a lot with a little girl who didn't feel good about herself at all. Has God removed those feelings of attraction from me all these years later? Over 20 years later? No, he hasn't. What he removed, what he healed in me, was a life of shame. The shame that I carried from being gay. And at the time that I made that confession, it was a word that I wouldn't even use. Because, you see, we didn't have conversations, even in the secular realm like we have today, let alone in the church. But the secular world has caught up and realized what harm that has done, what damage that has done, our silence. And so I'm here today to tell you the rest of the story and how God used the removal of that shame to begin a ministry that um, has been in existence now for 12 years it's absolutely amazing to think that it's, it's that old. But we celebrated our 12th anniversary in June. Centerpiece is a ministry that provides safe places for people to have conversations, for families, for church leaders to learn more about what it's like to experience same-sex attraction, to identify as LGBTQ. We teach you what those letters mean if you don't already know. If you have children, if you have any adolescence or uh, a 30-something in your life, then you, you know that. If you are a 30-something, you definitely know that because for the last 20 years we've been having better conversations in the world. And yet the church has remained pretty silent at best, if not still condemning in many places or perhaps at worst excluding. So Centerpiece helps us understand. Let me tell you just a little bit about what we do. This is... I, I'm... This is so awkward being tied to this mic. I can't make stand it still. Okay, yeah. There we go. We can unwind it and we can walk around. Yeah, so I have adult ADD, but yes, there we go. Now then, thank you, Charles. You betcha. Yeah. 
We do a retreat for parents. We have one coming up in November. It gives parents of LGBTQ students, uh, adults, a safe place to talk. This is the second most closeted group of people in our churches. Parents don't want anyone to know that they have a gay child, that they have a a lesbian child, a transgender child, a a bisexual child, because we still put uh, a lot of shame on parents. We uh, have ways of putting blame where blame doesn't belong, simply because we haven't understood There is a lot more information out there now that we haven't uh, even begun to explore. And that's what we do in this ministry is help parents better understand, but most of all, give you a place uh, to be loved on, to be pampered and listened to, and hopefully leave in a lot better place than uh, when you turn. We also do a retreat called Tapestry. It's taken from uh, Colossians 2 where uh, Paul says, I want you woven into a tapestry of God's love. We provide this for LGBTQ Christians who have been ostracized from family, from church, to provide a place that will talk about what does it look like for me to be a Christian, a Christ follower, and also experience same-sex attraction. We have a lot of people in our churches still who view, uh, who, who would describe themselves as experiencing same-sex attraction. They would not identify as LGBTQ. They believe they're called to a life of celibacy. But you have people in your midst, like the guy that Charles talked to, who also may identify as LGBTQ who need a place to talk about what does it mean? Uh, Can I be in a relationship? Uh, You can be in a relationship. You can be committed to a life of celibacy and find a place at this retreat and within the ministry of centerpiece. We are not about telling people what they need to think, what they need to believe. We don't take a position because the minute I did that, I would ostracize myself from half the population on either end of the spectrum. If you think that in our churches people are all in the same place, you need to think again. Because we have a wide range of perspectives and beliefs about the morality of our sexuality and this is no exception. That's what we talk about in Peacemakers workshops that we do for elderships, that we do for entire congregations. I also speak to school groups a lot. We have uh, our, our board chairman who goes with me a lot of times and does uh, a workshop on scripture solely and looks at what we call the clobber passages and um, takes them through different interpretations of that and uh, better prepares church leaders for different perspectives. Another thing that we do here in the Metroplex and all over, we're about to add another parent group in the Abilene area, but we have six parent groups that meet right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, one every week in a different location. So if you wanted to go every week for your friends who may be parents, 
if they wanted to go to a, a group here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they could go every week. But we also have them in Houston, Lubbock College Station in Edmond, Oklahoma, and like I said, soon to be in Abilene. This is a fantastic way for parents to network. I talk to parents almost every day, either by email, by a Facebook message, by uh, text, by a phone call, by a visit, every single day. Parents need other parents to talk to because Sally's never been somebody's mom. Nobody's ever called me mama, and I don't begin to pretend to know what it is like. So if you come to a group, you meet other moms and dads who can journey with you through this and help you better understand and most importantly learn how to support your child, how to support an adult child, how to, um, how to love your child. A lot of times parents tell us, you know, I just needed permission to love my child. And I hope that's what we give more than anything. So, our big event this year is the conference, uh, the E3 conference, to equip, empower, and encourage. This is the second year uh, that we've had it in Dallas. It was in 2016. We're trying to do that every other year and then move the conference to a regional location in the off years. But this year, uh, we've got uh, Pat Bills from Highland Oaks. We've got John Allen Turner coming back as MC. We've got Don McLaughlin from Atlanta. Sean Palmer from Houston. Luke, Nor Luke Norsworthy uh, with the Newsworthy with Norsworthy. That's hard to say. <laughs> I think I did a great job of that. <laughs> yes, yes, there we go. Uh, but most of all, I'm excited that Justin Lee is going to join us this time. Justin wrote a book called Torn back in 2012, I believe it was. And it was his story growing up in Southern Baptist uh, roots and how he discovered that he was gay and how his mom and dad walked with him in that journey to discover how he would live his life as a Christ follower. He has done some amazing things um, in the last uh, over a decade that I'm looking forward to him uh, sharing with us more. If you're interested in going to that, you have a little card in your seat, pick up the extra cards. And we've got more back here on the table. If you know someone that could benefit, this is for parents. It's for LGBTQ Christians. And it's also for church leaders. Uh, we have the entire staff from Cathedral of Hope joining us as uh, participants. So it's going to be a wide array uh, of perspectives. You will undoubtedly hear some things that you agree with and that you disagree with. The point is having conversation and being in dialogue. It is not to tell you what to think. So uh, if you want to come and hear where different people, different churches are, but most importantly, if you want to if you want to talk about how to be an inclusive church, how to be more loving to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters who have really been wounded by church, come to this event. We're going to have a ton of breakout sessions, I might add. And Charles, 
Ninja Pastor is uh, is leading one of those groups, and so we're we're thrilled about that. I want to tell you about something exciting that I, I just started this year. I've wanted to do it since I moved to Dallas four and a half years ago, but we just started this year. It's a group called Just Dinner. We don't call it a group because there's sort of a clinical feel to calling something group. I'm, I'm sorry uh, for our, our parent group being that way. We need to come up with a better name. Just Dinner is, a, is an event for people who have really felt uh, left out at church. It's for LGBTQ people who have grown up in church but have not been able to connect. It's for the guy you met in the bar to say, come and be with us. And there's no agenda. There is no bait and switch. There is no timeline as to when you have to get your act together. We're not going to view your being a part of the LGBTQ community as something that needs to be fixed. We're going to provide a place where you can connect and reconnect with God. Because that's the most important thing. It has been amazing to me. I asked some friends to gather with me the very first time when we met in January and be part of a leadership team. They were in the LGBTQ community and had found churches that they were connected to. And so I said, come and help me lead this group. And we need to invite all of the people we know who have been wounded to my home for dinner. And we had dinner. And we talked. And we sat around the table and all shared our stories. And it was beautiful. And the next month, we doubled in size. We are holding still at tripling in size in July. This next week, we'll meet on Tuesday, August the 14th. And I think it's going to be SRO. Uh, we're meeting at another group member's apartment. If you want to be interested, uh, or if you are interested in that and want to be a part of that, um, just come talk to me afterward. Uh, can I embarrass you? Kara and Coy uh, have been part of that original team from the very beginning with uh, the knowledge that they would be the first ones to take another group when we need to split because you can't have 25 people in a small group. So Kara and Coy are just waiting until they can be the ones to take that group over, and I'm thrilled. Thank you. So, why the need for all of this? Andrew Marin. Are you familiar with Andrew Marin of the Marin Foundation? He wrote a book called Love is an Orientation uh, in the last decade of this century. He's come out with a new one in 2014 called Us Versus Us. He did his doctoral dissertation in the area of uh, LGBTQ religion. What impact has religion had on the LGBTQ community? And he found that 86% of us have grown up in deeply religious homes. Not just Easter and Christmas, 
three times a weekers. People who are involved, people who are leaders, who are preaching in our pulpits, who are leading worship, who are serving as elders, shepherds, all across the board, every denomination. He also found that 54% of us leave after the age of 18 because of things we say, because of things we don't say, because sometimes we're actually asked to leave. But here's the good news. 76% of us are open to returning. 76%. If you went into a missions committee meeting and you told them that you had an area anywhere on the globe where there were 76% of the population who were open to being a part of a church, a part of a faith community, what do you think would happen? Do you think we would sit there and, oh, I don't know if we can go there? No, we wouldn't. We would be collecting, we would be gathering, we would be figuring out who's going to go and build that church and plant more churches, wouldn't we? Well, there's a community of people that's waiting. And I see some empty seats in here that they would love to fill up. So how do we do that? How do we become a more inclusive church? The first thing, the first thing is to be spirit-led. I feel that this morning, and this is my first time. But if you're spirit-led, moving you to love people rather than being fear-driven because what does love do? It casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no room for fear. You know, I, I, listen, I listen to Love's Lane Methodist on, on my way. It runs on uh, the classical channel on Sunday mornings and so I listened to them on my way to, to church on Sunday mornings and the pastor there was saying, she, she said this morning, to love and to be fully loved requires that you are fully known. Fully known. Do the people that you love and who love you most know you fully? I can say that. It took me a long time, but I can say that. That the people I love most in this life, who love me the most, know everything there is to know about sex. Every mistake, every quirk, every bad habit, and they also know that I happen to be gay. That that hasn't gone away and that everything I've learned over the last 20 plus years tells me that it's not very likely to. That that's not where I need the most encouragement. That I need encouragement to be the Christ follower that I was raised to be and that I desire to be.
So if we let love lead us, knowing that that's really and truly what's going to allow us to be fully known and then to experience God's love most of all, wouldn't we want to be that kind of church? The second thing we need to do is to acknowledge that we have been inconsistent. We have created this hierarchy of things that we, quote, struggle with. Things that uh, we don't want in our lives, in our churches, in our families. We've been inconsistent. I talk to church leaders who believe it necessary to, to have a policy statement about what they believe in about marriage. To the exclusion of anything else. To the exclusion of any other relationship that Scripture clearly commands us to think about. About loving your neighbor, Jesus says, is the second most important command. Loving your enemies. Do we have policy statements about how we will require and we will check up on how well you love your enemies? We don't have that. And you know what? Our kids are smart. Your kids are smart. You did a good job. And they see that. They realize that. You see, when I was growing up, I didn't have any other conversation to listen to. Your kids today have another conversation to listen to. It's called the Internet. It's called television, movies. And this topic is, is wide open. It is not an option for us to not talk about this anymore. It is not. If you want your children to stay connected to God and to stay connected to a faith community, we have got to talk about this. And we have got to clear up our inconsistency. We, we can't gag a gnat and swallow a camel anymore. And I didn't originate that. We've got to recognize the power of our words. You say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say and what I'm not supposed to say. And what does that lead me to do most, most likely? When I've gone to other countries and I don't know the language, what does Sally do? Sally, who loves to talk nonstop. Only do you remember that from college, yes. I'm silent. I don't say very much because I might say it wrong. And sincerely, we think we won't say the right thing and we don't want to hurt somebody. We don't want to offend, so we won't say anything at all. We won't talk about this. Well, why not sit down with somebody within the LGBTQ community and say, look, I want to learn this language. I don't know it. I need to learn. What, uh, what does LGBTQ mean, for instance? I talk to a lot of people that need to start right there. You may not. But a lot of people do. And a lot of people want to say the right things, but they just haven't spent time really talking to somebody and listening to what this experience has been like. So I would recommend, if you're in that camp, that you find somebody. And if you don't know anybody else, you can call me. But I'll tell you, you do know somebody who's gay. You may not realize that you do, but you do. But call me 
and we'll have a conversation about language, but your silence is the most damning. Your silence is the most harmful. To not have this conversation with your children as it's developmentally appropriate, to not reassure your children that God loves us no matter what, that there is nobody, that there is nothing that can separate us from His love. You've got to have that conversation and you've got to be very specific because the world's having another conversation. And the final thing that you need to do to be an inclusive church is to eat. To eat a lot. Not perhaps at one time, but to have lots of meals. Because what did Jesus do with people? He ate with people. There is something powerful about sitting down across the table and sharing a meal with somebody. That's an intimacy that you just don't get on Facebook. Not to diss Facebook. It's a wonderful way to connect with people who are thousands of miles away, but not so much with the people that are really in our lives that we encounter who really need to talk to somebody. That's why the Just Dinner group works. Because people sit down across from a meal, across the table, and share. And when you share table fellowship, you experience a sense of belonging. It's only around this table that we receive the nurturing and the discipling that Jesus intended the church to be able to give. Can you imagine being told, however you came here this morning, can, can you imagine being told you couldn't partake of this because of whatever it is in your life that some deem unacceptable? Think about that for a second. And you want to know why people are angry? You want to know why people are shown on television ranting and raving? Why people have just abandoned any kind of faith at all? There's a lot of wounding when you've grown up knowing this table only to be told that you can't protect. I love what God is doing here. And I love the possibilities that exist for this becoming a place even more as it already is. A place of acceptance. A place of love. No matter where people are. And that may be messy. People may disagree. But I would venture to say that right now, as we are, we could probably find some things that we don't agree upon, you think? No matter where you are in your thinking, this can be a place that includes all the people that God loves. All of us. Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. A lot of folks out there who need rest. Let's let them come home. 
I'm open if we have time. I may have used all my time and then some, but I'm open for whatever questions you want to ask, comments you want to make, uh, sermons you want to preach. <laughs> Yes, the, the question is, are there more doors opening? Are we getting to speak at more churches? And, and that's a definite yes. Um, I would say last year was a little bit different. I had to take a year off from, from travel because I, I had breast cancer and was going through chemo and radiation and all that good stuff. So I didn't get to travel as much, but our team went still on about 10 peacemaker workshops at, at various churches. The previous year, I did about 25. And that uh, has just continuously grown from when we first started in 2006. Uh, that may include uh, Pepperdine Lectures, Abilene Christian uh, Summit. It uh, includes you know, some uh, other colleges. Um, I went to, uh, what was that college in uh, Lindsay? Um, it was in Kentucky. So there, there have been lots of different uh, opportunities there. Private schools, uh, K through 12 and, and so forth doing, uh, in fact, I'm doing a, a workshop this weekend for ACU faculty and staff. So um, those are good. been conditioned 
that what I was experiencing was something to be ashamed of. I couldn't even look at my mom. My mom is the closest person to me. She passed away four and a half years ago. But I was telling Ben this morning, uh, I still feel her presence. I sat down uh, on the opposite end of an ottoman. It was an oblong, rectangular ottoman, and my mom was sitting on one end, and I sat down on the other. And I tried very clumsily, very awkwardly, to tell her what I was feeling. It was hard, you see, because I, I remembered what my mom had told me about people who were, as she would have said, homosexual. That those people are just sick. I was in fifth grade and she had absolutely no idea that she would be talking to a daughter who experienced those same feelings someday. She had no idea. It would never have been her intent to hurt me. But you see, that stuck in my head. I also knew her to be the most loving person I knew. And I knew when she knew it was me, that somehow that would all get sorted out, and it did. And there was never a time that she turned away from me. There was never a time that my dad turned away from me. My dad was angry. My dad uh, responded uh, in the only emotion that he knew at the time, which was anger. But I didn't see my dad for quite some time after that, and when I did, he uh, couldn't be more supportive. He couldn't be more loving. The first donation to the centerpiece is a check signed by Dan Gary. And he has gone with me, as has my mother, countless times to uh, share our story with people. They have been extremely supportive of me the entire time. I wrote a memoir a few years ago, and I shared a lot of those stories uh, that would not put my dad in, in the greatest light. But he looked at me and said, Sally, you tell the truth. Because that can help somebody who feels like they're all alone. And it has. It's been amazing uh, to have that kind of response from my mom and dad. And so I'm very, very thankful that that's where they were and that they were able to receive me like that. Uh, can we thank Sally for being here with us? Your, your gift to us, Sally. Uh,